welcome to Clusters and Competitiveness, where we introduce you to the world of economic clusters, what they are, why they're important, and how they can bring unprecedented levels of innovation and prosperity to your region. I'm your host, Ian Gormley. Clusters and Competitiveness is produced by the Institute for Competitiveness and Prosperity, a Canadian think tank based in Toronto. Through our conversations with those who work with and within clusters, we'll talk about what clusters can and can't do for your region. For our fifth and final installment, we keep with the international perspective of our last episode, expanding to a four-person roundtable of experts from the TCI Network Board of Directors during the recent TCI Network Global Conference hosted by the Institute here in Toronto. Our panel is made up of... Marco Linus, and I'm the Vice President for Competitiveness and Shared Value at the Bogota Chamber of Commerce. Tracy Scott Remington, I come from uh, Brisbane, in Queensland, Australia. Today, working in an organization known as Regional Development Australia. I'm Marietta Nielsen, I'm the Director of Cluster Excellence Denmark. I'm James Wilson, I'm a Research Director of Orchestra, Basque Institute of Competitiveness. James gets us started with a look at the conference's overall theme, why is it in a business's best interest to cooperate with their competition? I think it's quite a natural assumption to think that uh, cooperation and competition are, are kind of opposites. But uh, when it comes to competitiveness or to economic development, both of places and of the firms that compete and that exist in places, they're really two sides of the same coin. Uh, of course, firms need to compete with one another uh, and competition drives forward performance. But there are many things, particularly small and medium-sized enterprises, that uh, they can actually cooperate uh, at the same time as competing. So they may be competing with one another over certain aspects, but there are other elements of their, of their behavior that, uh, or of their performance that they can't reach on their own. Um, so, for example, a small enterprise in a local uh, cluster um, that's looking to internationalize often doesn't have the, the staff and the capacity to be able to send people to trade fairs and to and, and missions and these types of things. But working together in a, in a cluster, sometimes with their own competitors, they're able to get exposure for the cluster as a whole to those international markets in a way that an individual firm on its own wouldn't be able to. So uh, you can compete at the same time as cooperating. And it's often, the, the I think, the, the mix of the two that really drives forward success in economic performance. This is where the cluster management really kicks in because they need to explain explain that you're of course still competitors but you also there's extra benefits of the collaboration part so you have to either have specific success stories or explain them and this is where cluster management takes time it, it takes time to build up that trust to get that in-depth understanding of the needs in the in the companies and and to define uh, collaborative projects so it's it's the time that, that um, the cluster manager need to take a bit of time with the, the companies and need to, to build up trust. And I think what we always must be mindful of is that we're living in a very competitive world. And what we're talking about here with clusters is um, regions competing, communities, business communities competing. Individual traders on their own are going to find that very difficult, usually do. However, if they come together, and compete within their region, outside of their region, it gives them a much better leverage, a much bigger reach, and all the other things you've just discussed. So we're talking also then about what you'd call territorial competitiveness or regional competitiveness. It's about people and businesses in a place having a sense that they are competing within their place with the rest of the world. Just to be sure, uh, as I always tell the 
private sector people that uh, join us in our cluster initiatives uh, back in Colombia. Uh, I want you guys to compete as fiercely as possible. But obviously there are areas for collaboration and that's uh, why uh, we undertake uh, in, a, in a joint fashion agendas regarding uh, bridging uh, human capital gaps, uh, skill gaps, uh, science, technology and innovation projects that generally individual firms don't have the right incentives to tackle uh, by themselves, but uh, if they do them uh, in, in a joint fashion, uh, uh, they become economically feasible, uh, undertaking a specific infrastructure for, uh, for clusters. So there's a lot of areas for, for collaboration in the midst of fierce competition. Yet even when you get everyone on the same page, says Tracy, there's still no guarantee of success. It doesn't come naturally, like you say, to, um, to many people. Uh, my experience, actually, is that it sort of works for about 50% and the other 50% it doesn't. I've found over the years that uh, with successful clusters, those people who are perhaps a little cautious about this idea of cooperating, collaborating, will watch and observe. And in fact, some of the ones, some who have been the most skeptical or the most cautious can then over time become the strongest supporters and they are the ones that are really powerful change makers uh, within the cluster and outside promoting the, the benefits of a cluster but it, it's not a case of everybody has to be in they don't indeed they, they certainly don't but the leaders um, the members who are passionate will drive the whole thing and uh, you know people follow success it's not a surprise or it's not a coincidence that we this conference is all about cooperation and probably in 10 years time we'll have another conference or even in three years time we'll have another conference themed on cooperation. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a, a constant work in progress because uh, as Tracy was, was saying it's not something that comes naturally necessarily. Human nature is perhaps a little bit to, to not trust and to uh, and the, the kind of the trust and what the economists like to call social capital that, that kind of is the basis for cooperation takes time to build so you you'll tend to see relationships changing over time um, and certainly from a research perspective we're, we you know we're continually studying well how do you foster cooperation what are the what are the types of conditions that you need to to get people to trust one another and start to cooperate and it often depends a lot also on the type of activity so you can get some fairly you know, pick some low-hanging fruit. Uh, there's some things that are fairly easy to cooperate around. Things such as the kind of, you know, internationalization missions maybe, or skills gaps, or things that are not necessarily the at, the at the strategic level for the firm. But when it comes to cooperating around innovation, which is really, for most firms, it's really core str strategic for them, it's very difficult because you've got to trust who you're collaborating with. And so what tends to happen, I think, in cluster initiatives is that you often find quite a large basis of people being involved in the collaboration around relatively easy things. But it's quite difficult to get the cluster initiative up to a level where people are cooperating over really strategic things. And we've been doing some quite interesting social network analysis recently, mapping the types of projects that cluster members are part of. And you can really see those patterns. Uh, kind of cluster firms are on the edges who are not really cooperating. They're there part of the cluster, but they're not really engaged in the strategic initiatives. And then you tend to get kind of hot spots of collaboration where people have learned to trust each other and they are taking it forward. But it, it's, it takes a lot of time, and that's why we have these conferences that are devoted to, to trying to understand it better. Just to give a kind of a, a different take on, on collaboration, I have to confess that uh, probably the word collaboration is one of the ones that I use the less 
when I when when, when I work this type of agendas in in, in Bogota. Because the way that I that I see cluster initiatives at the end of the day is as a, a very useful tool to upgrade and diversify our economy in Colombia in general, but, but in Bogota in particular. So it's basically cluster initiatives as a tool for industrial policy where we basically identify and address bottlenecks, what uh, we economists call uh, market and government failures in order to increase the productivity of these uh, strategic sectors that we have pr prioritized. So just to, to be sure, I celebrate the fact that uh, that collaboration and cooperation is the main theme of, uh, but in the case of, uh, of Bogota, it's a word that I tend not to use, especially because sometimes people, um, people from the private sector think that this is the place where we're gonna uh, basically hold hands and uh, when it's, it's actually something related to fierce competition, but obviously working on these bottlenecks that can enhance the productivity of the private sector. Despite the challenges, there are clearly many regions that are able to make this strategy work, explains Moretta. We both have failures and successes. The regions that really have been successful, it's about you really making a strategy, uh, building on you know proper, you know, data analysis and, 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 and understanding of your smart specialization potential and then making some strategic choices in that because at the end of the day a lot of people will come forward and say okay we are also strong our company is also important so making that strategic choice is really important we had going back and then like a lot of clusters in like in food and life science so taking those hard choices have been a very important part of it it's been painful as well but it's been very important and then of course allowing time for the cluster initiatives to grow because in that process they will need some time. We can see of some, some of the European studies we've done. It takes a little five years to really get it going, to really get an impact on the, uh, the companies and the research side and, and the common projects. So time is again a factor here. So we have several regions in Denmark that really done well. We have some macro regions also in the Baltic Sea region that have been quite successful in, in, in making that common collaboration platform. The region where I work, the Basque Country region in Spain, is often, is often held up as an example of, uh, of good cluster policy. And it's been around for a long time. They've been doing cluster policy for um, nearly 25 years now. There, there are several lessons that can, that can be taken from the experience there. Um, which when I moved to work there were, were kind of uh, really, really stood out for me. And one of those is exactly what Moretta was just saying about the time. It's not, you have to give it time. It's not something that uh, the, the, the balance of cooperation and, uh, and competition that y you were talking before is, uh, is not something that you achieve overnight. Um, so you need to have a stable long-term investment in a, in a policy to try and essentially what you're trying to do is change people's behaviors and people's perceptions, firms' behaviors and perceptions towards the balance between cooperation and, and, and competition. And that, uh, that takes a lot of time. If I was to pick a, a, a second really key feature of the Basque experience that stands out, and that is the integrated collaboration between public and private from the very beginning. So it's cluster policies that don't that aren't successful are usually those that come in from the government side uh, with an idea of uh, we, we want to build clusters here, etc., but don't have private sector buy-in. Uh, you need to work at it from both sides. So I think that a really key lesson from the Basque case, again, is that if you don't have private sector enthusiasm for the project, buy into the project, then don't, then don't do it. Uh, it's better to, to try and build it slowly and, and let that enthusiasm develop because if you just jump in there from the, from the public sector, um, it's not going to work. Similarly, in um, 
in Australia we have a, a number of examples of very successful cluster regions. And one that always comes to mind and you might hear of uh, is the Great Barrier Reef super yacht cluster. This was uh, this is based out of the Cairns region in the far north in the tropics of Australia. Um, and it came about over 20 years ago where we had a very strong fishing cluster, maritime cluster, tourism cluster, and they all got together and said, hey, we could be doing more. We could become the Southern Hemisphere's super yacht port. And so they said, uh, they developed a strategy, they went about marketing, developing their capability, and, and, and within five years they, they had achieved that goal and they have maintained that position globally uh, in those 20 odd years that they've pursued this. No, so as my friends who are saying, these are long-term long agendas. And in, in the case of Colombia, we've been like really implementing these cluster-based development agendas uh, like uh, six years ago. So compared to the case of the Basque country where they've been implementing this, uh, this type of agendas for 30 years, obviously we're uh, just starting to see some of the benefits that accrue from, uh, from implementing this, uh, this type of efforts. Over the course of this podcast series, we've talked a lot about the importance for companies and regional clusters to collaborate. But, says James, the need for cooperation remains even when you zoom out and start looking at clusters with a wider lens, especially if you want to conquer more daunting, large-scale problems. There's a lot of emphasis, I think, placed on inter-cluster collaboration um, today, and, and rightly so, because many of the problems that sectors have, and as Marco's saying, to, to kind of solve bottlenecks, and particularly around industrial transformation, the integration of new technologies, etc., they require collaboration at a larger scale than, than, than just within individual clusters. And so we're seeing quite a lot of cross-cluster collaboration within places, so cross-fertilization of different clusters that might seemingly be quite unrelated activities, but actually they have synergies and, and new paths for development, for entrepreneurship can develop out of that collaboration. And then also so at the international level, um, we're seeing clusters uh, increasingly, I think, networking amongst themselves. And there are lots of platforms in the European context, certainly, that try and facilitate that uh, to happen. And this conference is, is one such uh, platform, but there are, there are a whole range of others as well. Internationalization is a really interesting thing to explore on clusters because normally we don't see them having that role because we see them as m more working on local or regional specializations. Uh, so for us in Denmark, it was really uh, quite an eye-opener. We, we started measuring it some years ago and we also got some feedback from the cluster organization not being so happy about, you know, they had to have a Danish name and you can <laughs> imagine <laughs> what a catastrophe that was when you want to work on internationalization. So that was part of a journey trying both to develop a policy program that supported it and also measuring it more to understand what are they actually doing because again to avoid competition with other part of the ecosystem so it was important for us to understand what are the clusters helping companies uh, and their stakeholders with and a bit surprise for us of course like in Denmark our near markets are the key collaboration uh, partners but I mean, just Denmark, uh, Danish clusters reach out to seven, uh, 70 countries around the world. So, and we can really see that these global value chains are building up now. There's a really strong thing going on there. And I think we're just trying to understand the, the beginning of that and the true potential of it. So it's more than just networks, it's really structured collaboration over many years. 
helping each other with value chains or more cross-sectoral collaboration or helping SMEs to enter innovation projects or research projects. So it's a really interesting journey and I think we will see more of that. Absolutely, it's a journey we're currently on, right? Yeah. Um, this process of internationalization. And I think one way to explain uh, how much opportunity is associated with uh, clusters and internationalization is to consider what it would be like for individual firms on the journey of internationalization and exports. Uh, you know, how do they gather their market intelligence? How do they, how do they get really strategic about who they're engaging with and so on if they're part of a cluster ecosystem that's doing that work anyway, sharing that information? They're so better prepared. They have so access to so many more resources to, you know, help them on that journey. Collaboration not only happens during the time of the of this global conference that takes place uh, once a year, but throughout the whole year. And in, in the case of Colombia, for example, uh, a couple of months ago, we went to Catalonia, a group of cluster initiatives from Colombia, in order to exchange experiences and not only share good and bad practices uh, with regards to the implementation of these cluster initiatives, but also uh, looking to find out projects where we can actually cooperate and do things together regarding science, technology, and innovation. That to say that collaboration takes place throughout the whole year, but you have to foster it. As panel members have already made clear, collaboration might even be required across international boundaries. Clusters sort of provide that portal into other places and regions and clusters for, uh, you know, to explore opportunity for collaboration and commercial, you know, joint ventures, whatever, that otherwise you can't find so easily. Uh, if you're to rely on your own country's trade um, organisation, and, and I mean, for all the good work these organisations do, they're usually driven by government priorities. So, you know, they're limited by resources as to how many sectors they can deal with, how many businesses they can deal with and so on. Whereas if this interaction's being driven by the clusters themselves. They're looking for direct returns uh, on, on the time that they invest, um, whether that is simply just to develop a relationship and trust or for business opportunity. And it can be multifaceted, mult, you know, open up so many uh, endless opportunities, really, um, that can't be facilitated so easily at that more formal intergovernment trade organization type level well, one of one of the and as an anecdotal story that often the, the policy makers in the in the Basque country tell is that uh, often the the cluster managers and we, we have about 17 18 cluster associations in the Basque country they say that when when they go on an overseas mission uh, together with 15 20 of their firms in, in a cluster to visit cluster uh, in another country um, it's often actually the relationships between the between the 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 firms in their own cluster that really uh, that really bond during that during that during that mission because they have the space and the time to talk to each other in informal ways uh, on the aeroplane in the bar in the restaurant etc uh, and the conversation turns uh, just that they see things that that perhaps in a day-to-day -day basis you don't you don't necessarily see and so opportunities arise uh, new ideas arise for collaboration within the actual cluster itself as a as a kind of secondary effect of of going away together on this type of on this type of mission. 
It's often, I think a lot of cluster work is about creating the right spaces for that human interaction. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's the people are what drive clusters forward um, uh, and, uh, and, and what provide the limitations to them, to them driving forward. So if we're capable of creating the right types of spaces, um, then the balance between cooperation and competition becomes much easier and more effective. That's the end of this episode of Clusters and Competitiveness. This is the final episode in a series of podcasts exploring some of the most asked questions about clusters, as well as many of the issues currently facing their growth, both in Canada and around the globe. A big thanks to James, Moretta, Tracy, and Marco for taking part in our roundtable. Their perspectives are greatly appreciated. For more details about TCI Network, visit tci-network.org. Clusters and Competitiveness is produced by the Institute for Competitiveness and Prosperity, a Canadian think tank focused on raising the competitiveness and prosperity of the province of Ontario. This episode was written and produced by myself, Ian Gormley. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and rate us on iTunes. It's a big help to spreading word about the pod. Once again, I'm Ian Gormley. Thanks for listening. Thank you.